It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, internet-only, call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 931 3814567 or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com. We hope you'll take out your Bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of God's word on this edition of the Virtual Bible Study. We welcome you into the Virtual Bible Study, the first Virtual Bible Study for 2013, January 2nd, uh, 14. 2014. January 2nd, 2014. Thank you for being with us tonight. My name is Jacob Gwynn. My father Greg Gwynn is here. Hello, Dad. Jacob, great to be with you in the new year. It is good to be with you and uh, it's good to be with our listeners and we'll look forward to hearing from you tonight and throughout the new year at 877-381-4567, questions at collegeview.com. We're looking forward to another year, Lord willing, of studying with you on the Internet. We appreciate this time together, and we appreciate you for joining us tonight. We have a continuation of a topic we had last week. Yeah, we, we came across a blog on the Internet, uh, and we don't know the author. He doesn't identify himself, but he had a rather lengthy essay which, which he called a doctrinal summary of the Church of Christ. Uh, the guy's not uh, mean-spirited or hateful in regards to the way he represents uh, us, but uh, we found lots of mistaken concepts that are revealed there. He, he really doesn't understand at least where we're coming from. We're spe- and we, we, we really emphasized this last week, Jake. We're not speaking for anybody rather, other than ourselves, but a lot of what the, the man said in the blog as to what is believed by churches of christ is just really inaccurate and so we decided we would sort of take that essay apart analyze it uh and and deal with it you know one of the things i hope people realize about us on the virtual bible study is that we do not shy away from from those who question us uh who have issues with something that we say or do we're very open to discuss that in fact we we try to invite people who come from a different perspective so that we can analyze what they say and they can analyze what we say we are not timid to talk to people about our differences, and I hope that, uh, if nothing else, I hope that comes through. A lot of people in the world today, though, think it doesn't really matter uh, what you believe, and so they just, they don't want a controversy. Controversy is some type of bad thing, or where you'd have any kind of difference would be a bad thing that we've just sort of got to yeah. overlook our but differences. But, you know, I, one of the reasons why I think that that's a common view, Jacob, is because people are afraid to try to defend what they believe, and so they just dismiss all differences well, by saying it doesn't matter. Right, because they can't defend what they want to believe. And so, you know, I'll let me believe what I want to believe. I'll let you believe what you want to believe. Let's just don't talk about it because I don't want to talk about it. You know, they they, right. they, they seem like they're afraid almost to discuss their yes. religious concepts. We're not. And I hope if nothing else comes through in, uh, in in the several years we've been doing the virtual Bible study, eight plus years, is that we are not afraid to describe what we believe and give a reason for it. And uh, we appreciate people who would challenge us because uh, it helps us to check to see if what we're believing and practicing is in accordance with God's Word. And so if you disagree with us, we would appreciate you uh, calling that out so that we can uh, verify and uh, examine what we teach, compare what we teach with what the Bible teaches, and see if it is, in fact, true. So we're going to continue that discussion tonight. We'll look forward to hearing from you on the phones, on email, if you're listening to us live in the chat room tonight tonight the bottom of your video window. Anthony's behind the controls tonight, Anthony. 
Uh, thank you for coming tonight. Yeah, I'm glad to be here. And as uh, a sporty shirt, you might want to use the Anthony can tonight. <laughs> yeah, you look like you look like you just came in from painting. Been Anthony. doing a little painting. I haven't, <laughs> but this is my painting shirt. Good deal. Yeah, all good right. deal. All right. Uh, all right. Uh, what we did last week, and we did again this week, uh, to our update list. Rather than sending out questions, basically we just sent out segments of this essay right for consideration we numbered the paragraphs so that we can make reference to them we're just going to go through those and talk about them uh if you were if you are on our update list uh, you got those earlier today the ones we want to talk about we got one paragraph that we had actually sent out last week we didn't get to talk about it. we're going to talk about it first this week and then and then continue on uh, just to talk about i think a lot of misrepresentations that are found in this essay before we get any farther in the study we should remind our listeners we can do it again at the end of the program about the bible reading calendar that you could supply over email tonight you can be you'll be two days behind actually one day behind you can catch up tonight yeah we've we uh, for i think 12 or 13 years now we've been printing a bible reading calendar Basically, for the folks here at College View, we try to encourage everybody to read the Bible every day, and uh, we print this calendar out to help accomplish that. But we make it available to others, too, and we'd be glad to send you one. Uh, we can send it in a Microsoft Word format, formatted document. Uh, if you send us your email, of course, if you just send us an email to questions at collegeview.com, we'll have your return address right there. We'll, we'll, we'll send it out. We can do it even tonight uh, if you if you'd rather have a printed paper copy of it, you'll have to send us your snail mail address, and we'll get it in the mail. But now you're going to be a few more days behind if That's you go right. that route. Okay, we can do that. But you need you need to get one of these calendars. If you haven't got one already, send an email to questions at collegeview.com. Okay, on to the program. All right. Uh, we, let's see. We've got, we got some of our old faithfuls in the chat room. I see John out in Oklahoma. I see Randy up in Michigan. Mich- he says it is very cold in Michigan. I can imagine. I can believe that because it's very cold here in Tennessee. They, yeah, you left the doors open and let it come on down here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, uh, but we're glad to have you there. It's warm in the virtual Bible study. So thanks for joining us. Come on in. What do they say? Come on in. The water's fine. We'll, we'll keep, we'll keep the, uh, discussion hot tonight. There How's we go. All right. All right. So let's pick up our discussion from last week. This, this blog is at Faith Facts. F-A-I-T-H-F-A-C-T-S, two words, faith facts, but mash them together, faithfacts.org. So faithfacts.org, and then when you get to that page, you want to look under world religions and theology. If you get on that tab, then there will be a tab for questions for the Church of Christ, Uh, uh, and this essay is part of that, which he tries to describe what he believes that it is the view, our view on religious things. Yes. Last week, uh, the last point we didn't get to talk about, and we're going to continue on, but we'll start with this one. He says, we believe. Now, this is how he's representing what we believe. What we believe. All yes. Right? Okay. Got he it. says, baptism is only by immersion and is an unstated inference that baptism can only be performed by another church of Christ, another member of the <clears throat> church of Christ. It is crucial that the one being baptized understand that his baptism is specifically for the remission of sins. Anyone not baptized by this formula is doomed to hell. They even pronounce the word baptized differently by placing the accent on the second syllable. Well, now, I agree with most of that paragraph. I don't know what he's talking about in the last sentence there. Maybe Anthony could give us I don't us think – no, no, there's more than the last sentence that you disagree about there. I don't know what he means about the last sentence. Oh. I disagree with some of the things he oh, said, oh, yeah. but I agree with most of that paragraph. Um, uh, 
but uh, yeah, the last thing, the last sentence gets, throws me for a loop. Anthony, yeah, I don't know. I was thinking about that myself. I think he's. I don't know if I can even do it, but yeah, baptize. Uh, uh, you know, uh, our friend Chris Bates, da- who's down in Alabama these days, called me today when he and he wanted to talk about that. He said he had run across somebody who criticized the way that we say baptized as well. And I, I told him, you know, Jacob, this is this is a little bit hard for me because um, way back in grade school where we had to take words and divide them up into syllables and then put the yeah. accent mark on the proper. I could never do that. I don't, yeah, that, 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 that was that was that I was really bad at yeah, that. So yeah. uh, for, for me, this idea of which syllable is accented is a little bit crazy. But yeah. Chris said he, he said he does think a number of older preachers you say baptized. You must be baptized. He said they really the first syllable was short and the emphasis was on the second syllable. You need to be baptized. Uh, I don't say it that way. Yeah. I say baptized. I think I think if I'm hearing, I'm not good at hearing those accents, Anthony. But I think I, if I'm hearing it right, I say it with the accent on the first syllable. Yeah, baptized. Yeah. Well, to me, if you resort to an argument like this, it, it, it puts uh, your whole argument in on shaky grounds. Uh, if you got to resort to that, but yeah, uh, yeah, if, if that's the best thing that you can criticize about, then that's not much. Uh, I want to go to one part of uh, we we have a holdover response from Mike up in Indiana <clears throat> from last week, and just part of what he said on this question, he says, Dictionary.com has the word baptized enunciated, baptize, baptize. So he said, apparently, either syllable can be emphasized. So the dictionary shows alternate pronunciations there. Okay. And, so, and so I just don't see. He says, it's funny, someone so intent on condemning and criticizing us that they are even annoyed about how some Christians pronounce the word. Go figure. I, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't think he was intending to be uh, mean-spirited about that, but I just don't understand that criticism. I don't, I don't say the word that way. I don't hear people saying it that way. But whatever. All right, let's just dissect uh, his argument here. He says bapti- uh, that we believe baptism is by- only by immersion. Well, that part we can't, agree ar- with. can't argue. You with know, that. let's just talk about that for a minute. Yeah. Find a place in the New Testament where anybody was baptized in a different way. That, and in fact, do a study of the word baptized, mm-hmm. and it clearly means to dip, to plunge, to submerge, to immerse. That is the meaning. You know, uh, we, we've explained many times. The word baptize, am I saying it right? You're self-conscious. You're self-conscious. The word baptize is an anglicized word from the Greek. Yeah. Uh, it was the, the Greek word is baptizo, and, and they just brought the word over and made a new English word baptize. Uh, and so you can do an easy study of the Greek language and discern the real meaning of that word. Yeah. And actually, scholars, no scholar debates that meaning. Okay. No scholar debates that meaning. All right. uh, it, it clearly means to immerse. So, so if you're going to do what the scriptures say to do, then you would do what the way that they say to do them. I mean, if you're just going to make up the rules as, okay, well, it, sa- it says to immerse, but I'm going to sprinkle. Well, why not uh, stand on my head in the corner? Yeah. Or right. why not juggle chainsaws? Yeah. yeah, arise and juggle chainsaws to be saved. If you're going to change the meaning of words, then yeah. you can. Baptize can means baptize. In your opinion, baptize means to juggle chainsaws, right. running chainsaws, or eat three worms. Yeah. So that's your definition. Yeah. yeah. You know, so we, if we're just going to change definitions, I if mean, we can make if we can make if we can make baptize mean sprinkling, we can make it mean anything else. Anything you want. Yeah. And and again, no, no Bible scholar, no Bible historian disputes that in the first century church, baptism was exclusively by 
immersion. Every example we have in the New Testament where we can clearly discern what they were doing when they were baptizing people was by immersion. Uh, Clearly, other forms of something that they call baptism these days, like pouring or sprinkling, came along centuries later. It was not known in Bible times. So, uh, yes, we believe that the baptism is only by immersion because we're just trying to do Bible things in Bible ways. What's wrong with that? All right. Uh, it is an unstated inference that baptism can only be performed by another member of the Church of Christ. Now, I'd like to know where that came from. No, uh, you know, I, Anthony's over there shaking his head. I'm shaking my head. I, I, I believe you could search the world over and have trouble finding any member of the Church of Christ who believes that in order for your baptism to be uh, effective, it must be administered by another member of the Church of Christ. I don't know any. I Literally, I, I, I've been a member of the Church of Christ uh, for over 50 years, and I have never run into anyone who believes that. Okay. Uh, well. You know, think about think about the the illogic of that. Okay, Jacob. So you you have in order for your baptism to be effective, you have to be baptized by a person who has been mm-hmm. properly baptized. No, so I baptized you years ago. Right. So your salvation is dependent upon me being properly baptized. Right. Well, then that means I had to be baptized by the guy who baptized me had to be properly baptized. And you would have to be able to draw an unbroken chain of succession. An apostolic succession. All the way back to the apostles. Yeah. That's impossible. Yeah. And God in his wisdom would never make a requirement like that, knowing that it would be completely Unmanageable. All right. Couldn't be administered. All right. It is crucial the one being baptized uh, understand that his baptism is specifically for the remission of sins. I agree with that. Well, that's what they were told in the New Testament. Uh, you know, why Why are you being baptized? Uh, Acts 2, 37, men, men, the, the, uh, on the day of Pentecost when, when Peter and the apostles had preached that first gospel sermon, uh, the question was asked, uh, men and brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. They were taught that they should be baptized for or in order to obtain the remission of sins. That's what it was for. Saul of Tarsus in Acts 22, verse 16 was told, and now why tarriest thou arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. So that's what they were told in the New Testament. We think that's, that's, that's what we're teaching. That's, that's what cool. baptism is for. And you need to understand, you know, <clears throat> there's an expression in Romans chapter 6 that's really important here. In Romans chapter 6, which interestingly in the first verses of that chapter, it talks about baptism but in verse 17 of Romans 6, Paul says, God, be thanked that you were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. Uh, you, you have to obey from the heart. Right. To obey, to obey from the heart necessarily requires that you know what you're doing. If it's not important for people to know what they're doing when they're baptized, I've often made the made sort of the uh, ridiculous suggestion. If people do not need to know what they're doing and why, then we ought to rig up a truck with a big tank of water on the back of it. We'll get about five or six really strong men, mm-hmm. and we'll just go up and down the streets, and everybody we can will catch them and dunk them in the water and claim that they're saved. Yeah. Now, they don't want it. They don't even know why this is happening to them, but we got them under the water, and therefore they are saved. Yeah. If, it, if you don't need to know why you're being baptized, then that would be as good as anything else, wouldn't it? Uh, you would think. And you would think that the Olympics, that those high divers, they're all getting saved 
during the Olympics. Yeah, you know, you know, I mean, why not? Uh, well, I, I'd like to have some time to talk to this uh, author and ask him, what does he think the Bible means when it tells us that we need to be baptized in order to be saved? And like passages like First Peter chapter 3, verse 21, like figure where unto even baptism doth also now save us. I'd like to ask, what does the Bible mean? What, what does God mean when he tells us that we must be saved in order to have the remission of our, or baptized in order to have the remission of our sins? I'd like to know what, uh, what that really means if it doesn't mean that we've got to be baptized in order to be saved. Yeah, real quickly, and then we've got to go to our break, Jacob. He says anyone not baptized by this formula is doomed to hell. That's a mistake, too, to suggest that we say that there is a baptismal formula. The, the New Testament describes no formula of words that must be spoken when a person is baptized. You wouldn't have to say a word. The, the one administering the baptism does not have to be a Christian himself. There's no qualification for the baptizer, and there's no stated formula of words that must be repeated in order to make the baptism effective. If Again, if that were the case, I baptized you, but whoops, I didn't say the right words, therefore you're, you're, uh, right, you're, you're right, lost. Right. No, that's, that's just not so. Okay. Uh, and we don't believe that. We don't teach that. All right. Uh, well, we'll uh, get a break, and uh, when we get back, we, we say the word wrong. I don't know. You know, a lot of those religious folks, if, if, if a word has two syll- one syllable, they got to add another syllable. Have you notice that? The, the, you get all worked up. You can't. I heard one of the kids here at the congregation just last week said, Talk about someone who was baptized. <laughs> now, I do think that's wrong, that, wrong pronunciation. Yeah, the dictionary doesn't like that. All yeah. right. All right. Well, we're going to take a break, and when we get back, we'll uh, talk to you on about uh, some more of these uh, so-called uh, doctrinal beliefs of the Church of Christ. Don't go anywhere. The verse of Bible study continues right after this. After these important messages, we'll be back to take your comments. Email them during this break. Hello. My name is Trent Haynes, and I'm a member of the College View Church of Christ. In a scanning of the book of Proverbs, it provides us several reasons to discipline our children. To show you don't hate them, he who spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is careful to discipline him. Chapter 13, verse 24. To give them hope, discipline your son, for in that there is hope. Do not be a willing party to his death. Chapter 19, verse 18. To help them for a lifetime, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old he will not turn from it. Chapter 22, verse 6. To chase away foolishness. Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline will drive it far from him. Chapter 22, verse 15. To save his soul, do not withhold discipline from a child. If you punish him with a rod, he will not die. Punish him with a rod and save his soul from death. Chapter 23, verses 13 through 14. For your own comfort, discipline your child, and he will give you peace. He will bring delight to your soul. Chapter 29, verse 17. Parents need to read and understand these passages. So too should our children. Here's some quotes worth pondering. Our challenge in the new year is to carry out a good resolution long after the excitement of the moment has passed. Benjamin Franklin said, Be always at war with your vices, at peace with your neighbors, and let each new year find you a better man. Resolution 1, I will live for God. Resolution 2, if no one else does, I still will. Every once in a while someone barks at me. My new year's resolution is not to bark back. Man, wish I'd said that. We're waiting to hear from you. Call in right now and join in on the virtual Bible study. Now, back to the program. We're back on the program tonight talking about so-called, uh, doc- a so-called doctrinal summary of the Church of Christ. We want to know if it's accurate or not. We want your help with that. 877-381-4567. We had a couple responses left over from last week, and I wanted to get to those real quick. Mike in Indiana said, the word baptism 
defined by every Greek dictionary I am aware of, will tell you that the word baptism is an anglicized rather than translated word. It is derived from the Greek baptize or baptizo, meaning to immerse, submerge, make fully wet. It seems a bit silly to be contentious that we insist that it is only by immersion when, in fact, that's what the word means. Should we apologize that this is the definition of the word? Question mark. I would not say that a member of the church of Christ must do the baptizing. I would prefer to make it simpler and clearer. I would say a Christian man should do the baptizing. I do not know of one passage where women did so, primarily because women did not serve as preachers or evangelists. I do not know of one instance where a non-Christian baptized a non-Christian in the Bible. I don't either. But uh, your argument is it doesn't. Uh, the Bible doesn't define any qualification for the one who does the baptizing. And it would be impossible to know. Yeah, and, and I would have to disagree with Mike a little bit there. How would I know that this Christian man who's baptizing me is really a Christian man? I'd have to judge him to be right. faithful. And then then that would also require that I know something about who baptized him and back right. and back and back. Right, I, right. I would disagree. No qualification. I believe a non-Christian could baptize you. If you were um, – Anthony, if you and I were stranded on a desert island and the only thing we had between us was a Bible and we got to reading that thing and found out that we needed to be baptized to be saved and we both wanted to be baptized – one of us is going to have to baptize the other before the other one baptizes the other one, right? Or we just get in an endless loop where we keep baptizing each other trying to get past that first difficulty. Uh, no, there's no qualification for the baptize. Doesn't even have to, it, I would argue, I would be willing to argue, although it's a, a fairly moot point, I'd be willing to argue that, it, that you don't, a, it, the person doing the baptizing doesn't even have to be a Christian. The desert island scenario, though, can get you into trouble. Oh, so yeah, you do yeah. want to be careful oh, when you yeah. oh, open yeah. up that desert yeah. island can yeah, of yeah. worms. Uh, Mike goes on. I once heard of a young man who didn't know any other Christians in the, his area and therefore baptized himself. I encouraged him to be baptized by someone. How do, now, how do you do that? I don't know. Because it does say that the New Testament does say be baptized repent and be baptized mm. and so that suggests an action upon you someone is doing that to you mm-hmm. uh, rather than you doing it yourself he says uh he says i encourage yeah, I him would to say be- that it, yeah for the figure to work your death burial resurrection you you're you don't bury yourself for the symbolism to work, but yeah. uh, I don't know. He okay. said, I encourage him to be baptized by someone since that's what God has commanded. I wouldn't say that God would not accept it if that was all that was possible, but clearly that was not the biblical method mentioned. Okay. He says same about women doing the baptizing. I don't think if a woman or a non-Christian baptized a man, it would necessarily void his baptism. I just wouldn't feel comfortable with it myself. So there, there he uh, okay. uh, straightens that out a little. All okay. Right. All right. And then we had another email from Anthony last week. Who Anthony, is behind the girls? Anthony probably doesn't remember what he said. Uh, not not, not Ray, specifically. Ray well, here you go, Anthony. It's very well put. Several obvious problems here. A person does not have to be baptized by anyone with any particular pedigree, title, or other qualifications. The person doing the dunking is completely immaterial. The person being baptized is the one that matters. And, yes, their heart has to be right, and they have to be doing it with accurate belief and understanding, Acts 8, verse 37. There's no formula involved in baptism. It's simply immersion. There's no phrase that must be uttered or song that must be sung or anything. The last statement by the author is just laughable and really goes to show the ulterior about motive pronunciation. Of, of disparaging those who would try to follow the, follow the Bible authority in all they do. This statement has nothing to do with doctrinal issues and is blatantly inflammatory and prejudicial. Of course, it's also flatly untrue. All right. Very well, good, Anthony. Well said, Anthony. Anthony thank you. Uh, John, right. John in the chat room says, not that it's authority, but I believe that the uh, Campbell brothers, Thomas and Alexander Campbell, were baptized by a denominational preacher at their request for the proper reasons. Actually, Thomas was the father and Alexander was his son. Uh, so, but 
nonetheless. Uh, yeah, they, by, yeah, I mean, but yeah. Yeah, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter who baptizes, in other words. Yeah, yeah that's right. But uh, again, not that it proves anything what they did. Yeah. Um, Rick as, the, as John had said. Yeah. He said, Rick in the chat room says, concerning sprinkling pouring, action is on the wrong object, the water. Barrel is the only thing that places the action on the person, which harmonizes with New Testament. I never heard that argument before. Interesting. Yeah, I guess it's uh, sort of like, you know, with sprinkling and pouring, the person is sort of... Uh, Idle, and it's the water that's doing the work. But uh, but in you know, in oh, immersion, you you put the put the water yeah. on the subject versus you put the subject Into in the water. the water. Interesting. Uh, that was very interesting. interesting. Huh, never heard that. Never I heard that. Interesting. Like very that. interesting. Thank you, Rick. All right, let's move on quickly. We took too much time on that first question, Jacob. Jacob we we're, time is flying All right, by. We got here. to go. All right, all right. For tonight, a if news- we don't hurry, he's going to think one of our doctrinal beliefs is you got to go slow when you talk about things. <laughs> that's right. Okay. Point number two for tonight's discussion, he says, they, that's us, believe that the New Testament is primarily and primarily a new legal code, the law of Christ, that replaces the one of the Old Testament. One must follow rigidly the New Testament by their hermeneutic formula of Bible, that is their, their way of interpreting the Bible. Yeah. And he says that hermeneutic, hermeneutic formula is direct command, approved example, necessary inference. Although, Exactly what examples are approved and what inferences are necessary. Divide the various factions within the group. No faction, however, ever pro- provides a list of exactly what things one must do to be saved. Now, I, I don't agree with that. I think we all list things that you must do to be saved. Yeah. You know, uh, he, he, he chided us about the plan of salvation last week. We do teach a plan of salvation. What, if someone were to ask you, what must you do to be saved? Right. We would quote the plan of salvation and give Bible verses from the scriptures that show you must hear, believe, repent, confess, and be baptized. Right. And give Bible verses showing that all of those things are necessary. So I don't know why he says we we never provide a list of what one must do to be saved. We do. All right. They believe the New Testament is primarily a new legal code, the law of Christ, that replaces the old one of the Old Testament. Now, I have an, it's an interesting observation. Is the New Testament a new legal code for us to follow? Well, the scriptures seem to indicate that it's uh, that we need to follow what the teachings of the New Testament are. Otherwise, why did God waste his time and waste a lot of ink? Uh, in, John, in Luke chapter 6, verse 46, uh, Jesus says, uh, Why call you me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I command thee? So uh, Jesus expected that we were going to do what he said to do. Kind of interestingly, he... He acts like we should not use the expression, the law of Christ. Yeah. In Galatians chapter 6, verse 2, Paul said, Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Yeah. So, uh, you know, the the idea of um, of it being a law, yes, it's a law. The, the, uh, the New Testament calls it the law of Christ. And so is a law a legal code? Well, it may, we may have issues with semantics here. But I believe a law is a legal code, and that the law of Christ, Galatians 6.2, maybe other places, I did, I did a quick search there, but Galatians 6.2 at a minimum refers to it as the law of Christ. If that's a legal code, then, if, 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 again, we may, be, well, we may be bantering about semantics here, but I think that that's what it is. I, it would sound like it. The Old Testament law had commandments to keep. The New Testament does as well. John chapter, First uh, John chapter 2, verse 3, hereby do we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. Now, is that the law? It sounds like it to me. It sounds like we have instructions that we need to be following. I don't know what the uh, issue the author has with that idea. 
but uh, it clearly seems to be a scriptural one. Um, you know, again, he, he talks about our hermeneutical formula, uh, of our rule of biblical interpretation, direct command, approved example, necessary inference. Well, I would just ask, what's what's his rule of biblical interpretation? How, how does he go to the Bible and yeah. know what we're supposed to do? I would think that everybody would agree, direct commands. Yeah, you know, well, I don't know. Uh, not everybody thou shalt would. not steal. Not everybody would. You know, but you would think that, you, you that would most hope. anybody who believes in the Bible would say, if the Bible directly says, do this, don't do that, then we got to do it, right? So yeah. I don't think we probably have a huge argument over direct command. In regards to approved examples... In Philippians chapter 4, verse 9, Paul said, Those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do, and the God of peace shall be with you. Yeah. Paul said, Do what you saw me do. Mm-hmm. Well, that's, that's, in, that's a command to observe apostolic example. Yes. So he says, Do what you saw me do. So there's, we are commanded to follow the approved examples of the, of the inspired people whose record is given in the New Testament. Yes. And then necessary inference is just a matter of logic. Yeah. You know, if, if the, the example we always give is Hebrews 10.25, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. We're commanded to assemble. The command to assemble necessitates a designated place for the assembly to happen. Mm-hmm. So that command infers that we must have a place to hold those assemblies. Mm-hmm. And that's just that's just really common sense reasoning or logic. That's, that's same, really all we're doing there. Same thing, and we've pointed out Acts chapter 15 where they're trying to decide if the Gentiles uh, should be saved or not, and, uh, and Peter makes the necessary inference that God has uh, allowed for the Gentiles to be saved because he gave them the Holy Spirit like he gave the apostles on the day of Pentecost, and therefore Peter infers, well, if that's the case, then it must be acceptable to God. Uh, yeah, yeah that, there's, they are, when you study that text, it actually shows that they were using those concepts right, of, right, of, right. Ex, of uh, command, example, and inference. Yes. Um, <clears throat> so, the, again, the New Testament doesn't, doesn't have a formula stated like that. But that does seem to be clearly the way that we're to approach the scriptures. And again, if that's not the way we're supposed to understand the scriptures, what is Please the right way? Please let us know how we should. Yeah. Uh, John in the chat room says, instead of legal code, the term covenant is used by the Hebrew writer. If a Christian violates the new covenant of Christ, then God will reject that Christian just as he rejected Israel, Israel for violating his covenant with them. The covenant is also referred to as the law of Christ in Galatians chapter 6, verse 2, which you referenced earlier. It is the law of Christ that we follow. Thank yeah. you, John. Yeah, thanks, John. I, I don't have a problem with that. I don't have a problem with calling it a legal code. If it's the law of Christ, then it's a code, and there it is a legal code that we're supposed to be following. So well, that I, I'll make, go with that. Okay. Well, that'll I'll make you a legalist. Yeah, we're going to talk about that in a minute. we want to talk about that. And also, he made a reference to the Old Testament there, and we're going to talk about that in a minute, too. All right. We'll uh, get those discussions on the other side of the break. We'll get this week's bullet point and be right back. Don't go anywhere. The Virtual Bible Study continues after this. Enjoying the virtual Bible study? Email a friend during this break and tell them to join in on the discussion. There's more exciting Bible study after this commercial. This is Greg Gwynn with this week's bullet point. A bumper sticker recently viewed said, quote, I'm not religious, I just love the Lord, unquote. Now what in the world does that mean? 
This strange expression probably is a reaction against the hypocritical conduct of lots of so-called Christians and many of their pretentious leaders. You don't have to be terribly perceptive to realize that there are a lot of folks out there in the religious world who, quote, say and do not, as Jesus described in Matthew 23, verse 3. These are the sort who received Jesus' strongest condemnation. In that chapter of Matthew 23, he called them hypocrites, blind guides, and whited sepulchers, which indeed appear beautiful outward, but are within full of dead men's bones. But shall we delegate the word religious to the realm of dirty words simply because there are those who act this way? Absolutely not. James chapter 1 verse 27 speaks of, quote, pure religion and undefiled before God. The verse goes on to describe this type of religion, quote, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world, unquote. Now think about that bumper sticker again, quote, I'm not religious, I just love the Lord, unquote. Taken literally, this means that the car owner which displayed this logo does not visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction and does not keep himself unspotted from the world. Gets a little crazy, doesn't it? The dictionary says that to be religious is to be, quote, pious, devout, godly, unquote. And thus, it's really impossible to truly love the Lord without being religious. That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. Hi, my name is Zach Coleman, and when I'm listening to the virtual Bible study, I love to hear comments from other listeners. So please join in tonight's discussion by sending an email or by making a phone call. The address is questions at collegeview.com, and the phone number is toll-free, 877-381-4567. We're waiting to hear from you. Call in right now and join in on the virtual Bible study. Now, back to the program. We're back on the program tonight. Remind you, this program is brought to you by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. Find out more about us by visiting our website, thevirtualbiblestudy.com. How is that website looking, by the way? You got all those uh, glitches you know, out? I haven't, yeah, it's working. I think it's working good. I, I haven't had an opportunity, or at least haven't taken the opportunity to add new content, but we're going to try to do that. You're going to get your little, your technical... Uh, I think it's working. Technical nerves up and try something new. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. yeah we can We're going to get flash. Okay. Well, check it out. TheVirtualBibleStudy.com. Hey, it's not flashy, but, but you college, can. And there's a link there to our to our congregational yeah. uh, website, CollegeView.com. They're it, right there. They're actually right there together. They're, well, yeah. They're sort of it's sort one of, and the same. Yeah, it's sort of a little bait and switch. But, <laughs> yeah. hey, it's not flashy, but it does have a lot of audio uh information there. Hey, yeah, but you know what I, I discovered last week, Jacob? We got a problem with some of our archives that we lost the, the link to them when we migrated our website, so we've got to go back in and reduce some of the older audio archives need some patching up, so we'll get to that. And Not by the way, you- if you would be searching on there and come and, and want to hear something uh, that, that's not coming up right now, send me an email, questions at collegeview.com. You I'll can make it happen. I'll send it right to you. All right. Questions at collegeview.com. And uh, by the way, while you're out there and you wonder, what do they believe about something? Or they never talked about that. Or, you know, I'd like them to talk about this subject. Send that to questions at collegeview.com and we can make it happen for you. All right. Let's move quickly. Uh, he says that they, that's us, believe in patternism. That is, they attempt to copy what they think the earliest Christians did in their life and worship. You know, I, I would just stop right there and say, man, that, that's, that's horrible. Don't you think we would be horrible to try to copy what the earliest Christians oh. did in their life and worship? That would you know, be just you know that Man, he's really, that's a low blow there. I mean, he's really struck a low blow against us when he says we're okay. trying. Oh. He's to, exposed you, Anthony. Yeah. Oh. Uh, he goes on, he says, they find patternism to be a necessary inference that must be rigidly followed in order to be pleasing to God and thus saved. 
This approach, they believe, leads to certain important conclusions, such as the prohibition of instrumental music in worship. Despite their emphasis on patternism, they deny that they are legalists. Well, now, uh, uh, patternism leads to other certain important conclusions, such as a prohibition against sacrificing babies in worship. Now, that's 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 one of the that is one of the uh, unfortunate consequences of patternism is that you cannot sacrifice babies in worship. You no, know, no, that, he said no, you're you're obviously this tongue in cheek, Jacob, yeah. but you're obviously saying. Uh, this approach, in other words, you've got to follow the pattern set forth in right. the New Testament. This approach, they believe, leads to certain important conclusions such as no human sacrifices. Right. Why not? Well, I, I, I mean, wonder how he gets that. I know he doesn't believe in human sacrifice. Right. I wonder how he gets to that conclusion. Right. You know, if, if he's not following a pattern set forth in the Scripture. If, how, he, if he demands that you don't offer babies as sacrifices in worship, where, how does he do that if it's not by patternism? Yeah, that that would be a good question to ask okay, you. All right. Actually, you know, our God is a God of patterns. In Exodus chapter 25, verse 40, when Moses uh, had received instruction from the God about yes. how to, to, to make yes. the tabernacle and all the elements that would be used in that Old Testament worship, he said, Thou shalt make it, uh, let's see, 2540, what I wrote, 2540, yeah, 2540. Look thou, make them after their pattern, yes. which was shown thee in the mount. God said, do it like I told you. Do it the way I told you. Make it like I said well, to make he, it. And he reemphasizes that in Hebrews chapter 8, verse 5, where he re- 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 repeats same, that, where he re- says, so you make all things according to the pattern. Yeah. Yeah. So our God is a God of patterns. I don't think there's anything. And if we do things just as the earliest Christians did, I would say that's right and can't be wrong. Anthony, wouldn't it seem like if we did our religious service today just like the first Christians did under the guidance of the inspired apostles, that that'd be a right approach? Yeah, I mean, what what else would you, if not that, what else would you base it on? That's what I always kind of come back to for people who kind of want to say, well, you shouldn't follow the Bible literally, and it's not a law and a pattern. Well, then what is, you know, what is? What, yeah, the, and the, I, I would ask, where's the stopping point, right. you know? Because I, I know that this man, I, he, he seems like a, a reasonably uh, good fella. I'm, I'm sure that if you questioned him about things like making human sacrifices right. or doing other things, he would say, absolutely not. I draw the line. No way. Yeah. We can't go right. there. Right. How does he draw the line? If you don't draw the line based upon the pattern set forth in the scriptures, where do you draw that line? And it appears that the line being drawn on the issue of instrumental music is maybe a preference rather than a principle. Yeah, we're not going to get off. We don't have time to get off into the instrumental music question. It's easy to prove that the addition of instruments of music to Christian worship was came along centuries after the, the things recorded in the New Testament it was a later innovation of man, it's, and it's, it's not. Uh, again, I don't think you can find a single Bible historian or scholar who would even try to make the argument that the first Christians used instruments of music in their assemblies. All agree that they did not. Uh, and then, we, and, well, again, we don't want to get off into that discussion. We've we've talked about that lots of times on the Virgin Bible Study. I'm sure we'll do it again. But we're just saying, yeah, there is a pattern, and and if and if you can establish that there's a pattern of work and worship in the New Testament, why on earth wouldn't we do it that way? Okay. Now, we've got one more thing we need to talk about before we leave this uh, this point. He says, despite their emphasis on patternism, they deny that they are legalist. You know, I wouldn't. 
this again may be a matter of definitions. I'm I'm not real afraid of that label legalists. I can't read about it in the New Testament. I don't uh, see it condemned in the New Testament. Uh, you know, if if by legalism you're saying we're binding our own rules, then that's wrong. Okay. You know, and sometimes when when you throw out that term, oh, they're being legalists, you're saying, well, they've they've set up their own system of rules. And they're trying to enforce them. That's wrong. We can't. We're not trying to enforce our. But when it comes to the rules that are set forth in the Word of God, uh, we are pretty determined that it must be done that way. And I, I don't see that there's anything wrong with that. In fact, I got it real quickly. I go to Matthew twenty three twenty three. Jesus was condemning the scribes and Pharisees. He said, "Woe unto you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites!" This is Matthew twenty three twenty three. For you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin and have omitted the weightier matters of the law, judgment, mercy, and faith. These ought ye to have done and not to leave the other undone. Real quickly, what the Pharisees were doing, they were so meticulous in keeping the Old Testament law, the outward observance of the Old Testament law. The law required you give a tenth of your crops, a tithe. Well, when they grew their garden herbs, you know, maybe a handful is a a crop for a whole year of some of these uh, garden herbs like mint, yeah. anise, and cumin. But they were so meticulous in keeping the law, they would divide up that handful into ten parts and they'd give a tenth. Mm-hmm. Somebody say, oh, that's just legalism. That's foolish. Don't waste your time with that. What did Jesus say? He said they did that. Their problem was they were omitting weightier matters of law, matters of the heart, judgment, mercy, and faith. But he says, these ought you to have done judgment, mercy, faith, and not leave the other undone, yeah. tithing your garden veg, uh, garden herbs. So he did not condemn them for tithing their garden herbs. He said, you ought to do that, but you really ought to get your heart right, too. Yeah, now, if, if claiming that we've got to follow the instructions that God has given us makes us a legalist and that is bad, then we could assume that it is okay to not follow any of God's instructions. Making uh, saying you must not uh, worship God with instruments is legalistic and that's bad. But saying someone shouldn't fornicate or someone shouldn't lie or murder, oh, that's legalistic too. You should you, you can't you can't say that. If you're going to throw out one, you've got to throw them all out. I think you're exactly right. All right. Real quickly in the chat room, Randy in Michigan says Second John verses nine and ten. If we do not have the teaching of Jesus, we do not have Him or the Father. And Rick says, if we are under no law today, we cannot sin because sin is, by definition, transgression law, 1 John 3, verse 4. Is he willing to say that there's no such thing as sin today? The difference between the old law and the new covenant is seen in the prophecy of Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34. In that covenant, uh, under that covenant, there was remembrance made of sins year by year continually. It remained for the perfect sacrifice, sacrifice of Christ to provide forgiveness completely, where God would remember sins no more. Concerning pattern. He references 2 Timothy 1, verse 13. Hold fast the form or pattern of sound words which thou hast heard of me in faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. I think that's a good reference there, 2 Timothy 1, verse 13. All right. Uh, let's get uh, number four. It should be relatively yeah, quick. Yeah, real quick. He says they generally reject the Old Testament except in such instances that they find passages in the Old Testament that lend support to their doctrine. The old picking and choosing argument, and that is simply not our position. Uh, the, the, the fact of the matter is we do not reject the Old Testament. We believe it is the it is inspired of God. We study it all the time. Yeah, our Bibles have it. We're wait, we, we, our Bibles would be about two thirds lighter if we didn't if we could reject you the know, Old Testament. If, if, if of course this doesn't prove anything, but if you were to look at our Bible study curriculum for study here at the College View Church of Christ, 
more than half of it is devoted to Old Testament studies. We learn a lot from the Old Testament. It's not our law today. It's not the law we live by. Mm -hmm. And we've stressed that plenty of times. I don't think there's a better place in the New Testament to prove that than Colossians 2, 14 through 16. We won't take time to read that. But it says that those handwritten ordinances, the old law, were nailed to the cross of Jesus. They're not our law today, but there's plenty there for us to learn from. In Romans chapter 15, uh, verse 8, Romans 15, verse 8, uh, excuse me, uh, did I write that down? Romans 15, 4. Whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort the scriptures might have hope. We're to learn from those things that are written. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12, all these things, the Old Testament events, happen to them, for example, and they're written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. We believe there's a lot to learn from the Old Testament. It is not our law to live by today. I wonder if this guy doesn't reject animal sacrifices, for instance. Yeah. Is he still out there slaughtering bulls and goats? Yeah. Uh, because that's what the Old Testament taught to be done. If he doesn't do that, why doesn't he do that? And on what basis would he not be burning incense continually, for instance? On what basis would he not be objecting to eat pork or catfish? You know, those were Old Testament ordinances. Now, if he's eating pork and catfish, and if he's not sacrificing bulls and goats, uh, if he's not doing all those aspects of the Old Testament law, on what basis does he pick and choose what parts of it he wants to keep and not keep? All right. Uh, Galatians chapter 3, 24 and 25 tells us the law is our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ so that we might be justified by faith. But after that faith has come, we are no longer under a schoolmaster. The Old Testament law is no longer our authority today. He says we go back to the Old Testament to uh, support our doctrine, lend support to their doct- our doctrine. We don't do it for justification. Galatians chapter 5, verse 4 tells us that if we go back to the Old Testament for our justification, we're indebted to do the but, whole law. But there's a lot to learn in the Old Testament. Sure. And one of the things we often say is we learn about God. Right. And and we learn about so, the nature of God. So we can't totally disagree with the fact that we do go to the Old Testament to lend support to our doctrine. For instance, you reference the Old Testament in the reference in the pattern or the uh, instruction about patterns. Because we learned that God wanted patterns. That he's a God. Well, what we learned there, though, is not that we have to build a tabernacle. Right. But what we learned there is the nature of God. He's a God of a pattern. He yeah. always has wanted people to do what he said, do it just like he said to do it. Right. So we learn about God, but we're not telling people to go around and build tabernacles. Right. Okay. All right. We need to get a break, and we go to the top of the hour after this with a couple more of these uh, so-called, well, actually three more, if we can get it in in time. Don't go anywhere. The Virtual Bible Study will continue after these messages. You won't want to miss what we talk about next. The discussion continues right after these important messages. Hi, my name is Mike Johnson. I'm a member here at the College of You Church of Christ. Have you ever heard someone say that the members of the Church of Christ are too legalistic? Generally, people say this when we say that we must be careful to follow all the commands that God has given us. When we say, God says we must do this, or God doesn't command us to do that, people respond with, the members of the Church of Christ are too legalistic. Well, while it may be impossible to know exactly what people mean when they make this accusation, if they are accusing us of being legalistic because we say that we should follow all the instructions that God has given us, then that accusation is correct. But let me ask you this. Which of the commands that God has given us should we ignore? Can we pick and choose which commands we follow, or must we follow them all? Jesus said we have to follow all the commands of God when he said in Luke chapter 6, verse 46, And why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? We want to call Jesus our Lord, so we try to follow all the commandments that he has given us. 
we don't in any way think that following God's commands earns our salvation, but we do think it is necessary to be pleasing to Him. Here at the College View Church of Christ, we're trying to follow every command that God has given us. If, as a result, some people call us legalistic, then so be it. We think it's what God calls being righteous. We're tracking the trends on the virtual Bible study. 13% of public high school biology teachers in the U.S. explicitly advocate creationism in the classroom, while 28% explicitly advocate Darwinian evolution in the classroom. That information is via the New York Times. The Word of God says in Psalm 14, verse 1, The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Quit checking your email. The commercials are over and the virtual Bible study is ready to roll. Take it away, guys. Back on the program tonight, going fast to the top of the hour as we look at these so-called doctrinal summaries of the church. From from the website faithfacts.org, the essay of this unnamed author trying to describe what he says people in the church of Christ believe. Again, I would just emphasize, Jacob, we're not speaking for anybody other than ourselves, but he sure has misrepresented He's us. He's misrepresented you and I. Yeah, and uh, Anthony. And me, I guess. It's you and me. <laughs> and well, yes, Anthony's in agreement tonight. Okay. All right. Real quickly, let's keep moving. Uh, he says, the Holy Spirit is not well-defined. Talking about us. Yeah. The Holy Spirit is not well-defined and is limited in his activities. The Holy Spirit is often said to be either not active today. We do not believe that. Nope. So we do not. And we do, or, think, we, well, the, the, we do think the Holy Spirit is well-defined, as well-defined as the Scriptures define it. Yeah, that's really a subjective opinion when he okay. says that we that our view of the Holy Spirit is not well-defined and limited. Okay. Well, he would agree that the Holy Spirit's activities are limited, too. I mean, the, the, the Holy Spirit's not just doing everything imaginable. He, he agrees that there are some limitations on the activities of the Holy Spirit, I would think. Like, just as we agree that, uh, believe there's uh, limitations on God the Father. Yeah, to, uh, and I think he would as uh, well. You know, for instance, is God limited? Well, yeah, yeah. God cannot lie, for right. instance. Can't, you know, can't be tempted. He, he self-imposed limitations. Yes. Uh, and so we believe that that the Holy Spirit has imposed limitations as well, divine, divinely imposed limitations on the activities of the Holy Spirit. Okay. Yeah. The Holy Spirit is often said to be either not active today. That's not true. We don't believe that. Or the Holy Spirit's activities may be limited to the words of the New Testament. Or the Holy Spirit's activities are limited to helping us understand the Bible. Actually, that middle phrase probably is not far off from what I, th- what I think. The Holy Spirit's activities are limited to the words of the Holy Spirit. I don't know that I'd say they're limited. In fact, I would, I would definitely say not exclusively limited. But the, the, the Word of God is the tool Mm-hmm. That the Spirit uses. In Ephesians yep. chapter 6, it's referred to as the sword of the Spirit. The right. Word of God is the sword of the Spirit. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, I think the Spirit uses the Word to accomplish His work. Uh, he says they see the Holy Spirit's activities in much more confined role than other Christians. He's using the word Christians generically. I would say he. I would say yeah. I'd say that's probably true. And I would say he probably does has a more confined role of the Holy Spirit than other Christians. I, I don't some. assume he's a Pentecostal, for instance. Yeah. I mean, so yes, so we do think that the activities of the Spirit are more confined than lots of others do. <clears throat> yeah. That, uh, so so, what? so that's that true. doesn't prove anything. Yeah. The Holy Spirit becomes, in a sense, the same as the Bible. No, we never said that, and don't believe that. The Holy Spirit is not the same as the Bible. He says there's little or no place for the Holy Spirit in regeneration that, or sanctification. That, that couldn't be anything farther from the truth. That's right. You got a verse there you wanted to bring? Uh, well, uh, go, go ahead. He says some even uh, even reject the notion that the Holy Spirit indwells a person. That's not true. We believe in this indwelling the Spirit. Uh, the Scriptures teach the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. 
Uh, we've got a, by the way, and I looked that up and I, I, I forgot to write down the, uh, the date in our archives. I think it's, uh, February, maybe February 19th of 2009. We did a whole program on the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Let me find it for you. Um, so the Holy Spirit does dwell in us. We understand that. Uh, February 19th, 2009, 2009. Yeah. So again, we do teach and believe. Uh, concerning what the Bible teaches about the indwelling of the, of the Holy Spirit. We don't believe it's a personal, literal indwelling, but we believe that... We would agree with what, what Randy says. The Holy Spirit dwells in us the same uh, uh, way that God and Jesus yeah, do, by yeah. faith. I, we're not going to have time to go to okay, it, but I dug, out, I dug out some old notes. This is kind of interesting, I think. The, the Father is said to dwell in us eight times in the Scripture. The, the Son is said to dwell in us 16 times. The Holy Spirit is said to dwell in us six times. So a father, son, and spirit of the three, there's less reference to the spirit dwelling in us than there is the father and the son. But we don't deny it. But we don't deny we, it. Uh, despite numerous mentions of this in the New Testament, as he says, we do not uh, yeah. deny it. Romans 8, verse 11, the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you. If the spirit of him that raised Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. We can't deny that. It's plainly taught in the scriptures. Now, we can talk, and we have, and we will, uh, about how the Spirit dwells in us, but we've never denied the indwelling of the Spirit. The Bible teaches the indwelling of the Spirit, but I, I'm like Randy. He dwells in, the, dwells in us just as the Father and the Son do. And John says from his studies, he's concluded fellowship is the key word to understanding the indwelling. Okay. Uh, that may be right, John, and we need to investigate that a little more thoroughly. Yeah. Um Let's see. Uh, Are we ready to go to the next yeah, one? Yeah, let's, let's quickly go to the next one because we're going to run out of time. They, they, go, uh, ahead. go ahead. Go ahead. They deny vehemently the historical Christian doctrine of original sin, even though they may admit that, A, everyone sins, and, B, children have to be taught not to be sinful. Thus, man sins, not because of any corruption in his nature, but because of his lack of understanding or simple stubbornness. Uh, well, I think we could agree with all that, although he goes to into an, into an argument that is somewhat prejudicial. He says this is a view they share with non-Christian groups, Muslims, communists, Ether, Eastern religions, Mormons, and Jehovah's Witnesses. Well, I didn't know the communists believed that. <laughs> I don't think I didn't think they. Well, anyhow, uh, um, th- that's just prejudicial. There. I mean, we all we also hold other views that communists uh, hold, like uh, we believe that God created the heavens and the earth. There's a lot of communists that believe that. Does that mean it's wrong? Uh, well, the Muslims believe that as well. So yeah, do the Jehovah's yeah. Witnesses. So do the Mormons. So, so do the, the Catholics, the Methodists, and the Presbyterians. Yeah. So does this uh, guy, but does that yeah. mean it's wrong? Yeah. Uh, I want to give him an example of how we use the Old Testament, if he wants one. Okay. On this business of yeah. the historic Christian doctrine of in, of original sin. Yeah. I don't think that is a historic. Well, I suppose it's been around a long time. Maybe it is historic. There's a historic document, a yeah. historical Christian doctrine of praying to Mary. We reject that one, too. Here, here, But here on the idea of original sin, I'm going to use the Old Testament. Jacob. Okay, here we go. Here's what God thought about original sin through the prophet Ezekiel, Ezekiel 18, verse 20. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. The son shall not bear the iniquity of the father, neither shall the father bear the iniquity of the son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon him, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon him. Now, in in the Old Testament times, Ezekiel was about 600 years before Christ. 600 years before Christ, the inspired prophet Ezekiel said, there is no inherited sin, inherited original sin. It just doesn't happen. Now, 
We don't live under the Old Testament law, but that was a truth when the prophet Ezekiel was inspired to state it. Yep. What has changed about it? Was it so, was it so <laughs> that 600 years before Christ, people weren't inheriting the original sin, but now we are? He doesn't believe that. Nobody who believes in original sin believes that. They believe original sin, the inheriting of original sin, has gone on ever since Adam committed the sin. Yeah. And so, but, but strangely, Ezekiel, 600 years before Christ, Ezekiel said, no, it's not there. It doesn't happen. Nope. So we're using, we can go to the Old Testament and prove the notion of original sin is not biblical. It wasn't biblical. Not because we live under that law, but we certainly learn a lesson there. All right. Well, Paul believed it that way in Romans chapter 7, verse 9. He says, I was alive once without the law, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. Paul was never alive when the law of Moses wasn't in effect. But there was a portion of his life when he was not accountable that, when he did not have sin in his life, once he became old enough to be accountable, then the law, the commandment came, he disobeyed it, and he died. I got a good argument. Jesus yeah. said, Matthew eighteen three, except ye be converted and become as little children, ye shall not inherit the kingdom of heaven. In other words, we've got to become like a little child is. Is a little child full of inherited yeah. sin? No. Well, if if so, what did Jesus mean? Yeah, and then in the Jesus very next, need, you just need to be fully corrupt like this little child. Oh, yeah, and in, in the very next chapter of Matthew nineteen, verse fourteen, Jesus said, "Suffer little children to, and forbid them not to come unto me, for of such is the kingdom of heaven." Right. We got the kingdom of heaven is made up of beings like little children, okay. not corrupt, full of inherited sin. Okay. So, all right, we do, we do, and I would say yes, vehemently, we deny. The doctrine of original sin because it's not biblical. Yeah, so we can't argue with that. Yeah. And finally, hey, we're going to get through this, Jacob. All right. Finally, he said they refuse to fellowship with other Christians, even other conservative Christians. You know, that's not true. We do not refuse to fellowship with other Christians. But the question, but this becomes a matter of definition. Who are Christians? What okay. does it, what does it take to be a true New Testament Christian? Well, we are anxious to fellowship with all who are true New Testament Christians. But then we got to talk about what does it take to be a true New Testament Christian, and then, and then we've we got to work through our differences. All right. All right. That one's pretty easy. That was simple. Because it, because we love to fellowship with other true Christians. So that's what we want to do. Anthony, we have not given you much time to sneak in your thoughts. Today. Well, that's okay. That's all right. I, uh, this is uh, – this – Tonight's program and last week was uh, was very good. I think it's good for us to, you know, have these challenges thrown up, like was said, and give us a chance to to really think about, you know, what do we, you know, what what do I believe and and why? So it's I been think, good. I think that's right. And we're not done yet. <laughs> All right, part three. Well, we're going to do this one more time because there's a pretty large segment of that essay that deals with what he thinks we believe about God's grace. Mm-hmm. And we've been wanting to do some right. discussion about grace, and and so that's going to give us a little uh, opening there to make that discussion possible. So next week, Lord willing, we're going to do part three and study what this fella I think clearly misrepresents us on the matter of grace. So we're going to just do a broader discussion of the subject of grace. We may we we may not just carefully dissect everything he said like we did in these previous two weeks. But we'll use his comments to sort of springboard us into that discussion of grace. That should be a good one next week. So you want to tell your friends about that. We'll talk about uh, God's grace on the program next week. And in spite of what he says in his essay, we do believe in it, and we are thankful for it. And we'll talk about that next week.
All right. It's been a good discussion, a fast-paced one, but uh, lots of uh, good discussion. Yeah, and appreciate everybody in the chat room. Hope you're having a great new year and uh, hope that uh, we can be a part of it every week with the Virtual Bible Study. Well, your resolution to listen to the Virtual Bible Study every week. So far, you're holding you're holding to that, those folks in the chat room. Yeah, just think about that. I know, it was, on, chat- I know it was on a lot of people's New Year's resolution. You said, I'm going to listen to the Virtual Bible Study every yeah. Thursday yeah. night, and so far you have. That's right, and you can keep it up next week, this yeah. time. All right, All right. Thank you for your time tonight, Dad. Thanks, Jacob. Thanks, Anthony, for being here. Well, thanks for having me. And thank you for listening. We hope you benefited from our study and discussion of God's Word. We will make plans to be back here this time next week for another edition of the Virtual Bible Study. And in the meantime, we encourage you to put God first in your life, study His inspired Word, the Bible, and live by it every day. You'll never regret it. Thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study, brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 9.30 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.